Welcome and thank you for listening to this discussion which is coming to you from Trades Hall in Melbourne, Australia. Our topic today is uh, syndicalism in Australia and Sweden, the IWW and the SAC. And I work on the Reason and Revolt source documents in Australian Radicalism website. And I'll be speaking with Gabriel Kuhn and Dave Karen. Syndicalism is a type of economic system proposed as a replacement for capitalism and state socialism which uses federations of collectivised trade unions. Today, Gabriel and Dave will tell us about their experiences and thoughts regarding two syndicalist unions. The first is the IWW, which stands for the Industrial Workers of the World, or the Wobblies, an international union based in, in America. The second syndicalist union is the SAC, S-A-C, which in Sweden, uh, in Swedish, stands for the Central Organisation of the Workers of Sweden. Gabriel Kuhn is a member of both the IWW and the SAC. He's currently visiting Australia. Dave Kerrin is a member of the IWW in Australia and is an organiser with the Mining Division of the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union in Morwell in Victoria. Tell us about the IWW. Yeah, well, the, uh, the Wobbly set up in uh, 1904 in America and 1907 here. And uh, the same year, coincidentally, the uh, Harvester Judgment was handed down, which... Uh, which went further along the road of arbitration and conciliation and put in place a, a social contract. Yeah. And uh, both the Wobblies and the social contract come out of the, the decades of struggle from the 1850s through to the Depression in the 1890s. The workers' movement here was gaining in strength and uh, even though it had experienced some significant defeats in the 1890s, it had learned a lot from that. And uh, So the conclusions people were drawing was that... Uh, the one big union was, was something that we needed. Um, the uh, the anti-war movement, of course, came along in 1914, and the Wobblies here played a major role in that, in the anti-conscription campaigns and the referendum, the, the two referenda that were held uh, about the uh, about conscription, and played a mighty role. And as a result of their activities, many of them did some pretty heavy jail time out here. Um, they continued on um, under other names and. And, uh, and as dual unionists inside other unions um, for, for decades after, uh, up into the, the 1930s, the, the, uh, the Wobblies in, uh, in New South Wales were uh, on a par with the Communist Party in terms of numbers, although at the time um, you'd have to look up Verity's book actually to, look mm. at, to, to find out the name of it, I can't remember now. But so as a younger man in the 70s coming into contact with uh, their thinking, um, I'd... Uh, was active with the BLF and, uh, and, and in the Green Bands and uh, he was a, a form of social union, social movement unionism that, you know, predated the BLF and uh, so it caught my imagination as a young bloke. Mm. And then I uh, went through the deregistration of the BLF in the 80s where the union movement, because of various leaderships and factional strife, turned on each other and, and to the detriment of everyone involved and uh, the boss was the only winner. So that highlighted again to me that... And then when Howard got in and uh, brought in the worst of the sort of uh, anti-worker laws and, and sort of fascist legislation, um, uh, a few of us realised that the union movement wasn't set up to cope with what was coming. And we, at the end of 2004, we established um, Union Solidarity, which was based on the Wobblies' notion of one big union, uh, an injury to one is an injury to all. Um, and uh, effectively, without calling it the IWW, we established it. Um, and uh, the other lesson in that for me was uh, there were no membership lists, 
uh, no minutes of meetings held, no assets, nothing that uh, an organisation could come dependent upon and therefore nothing that the employers could grab through courts and uh, fines and that sort of stuff. So we were just there to, uh, to struggle and uh, grow and learn through the struggle and uh, we didn't have very many uh, losses. And, well, in fact, I, I, I sort of always consider we didn't actually have any losses. Some of them are still ongoing. But in one year, we did more than 30 picket lines. Um, so it was pretty full on for four years and uh, everybody just did themselves a real treat and uh, whether they know it or not, um, they behave like wobblies. Just great. How was international solidarity at the time? I'd just be curious. Uh, well, it, 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 you know, just predating um, Union Solidarity in 1998, a lot of the a lot of the lessons that were learnt that drove people into union solidarity were learnt out of the MUA dispute in 1998, and that received a lot of international support because the MUA is one union that is part of a strong international and you know uh, behaves like a, like a good international internationalist uh, principles. So um, yeah, that was one instance, um, and certainly uh, we've we were always ready to reach out and, and ask for help and, and offer it where we could. So we were we were active as active as we could be in defending the rights of workers in other countries and uh, um, participated in uh, giving all sorts of assistance, um, some of which uh, I could talk about, some I can't. But we, yeah, we, we certainly gave a lot of, um, as much as we could, a lot of help in so far as just bringing people in to meet with the existing union movements and and uh, get those meetings set up where we could help people from other countries network and receive the sort of support they had. Because with the, when the Communist Party closed its doors here, a lot of that work well, went by the by. I mean, the Labor Party doesn't do that work. Um, mm. it, 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 the extent to which it, you know, it provides a, a, a political leadership for the organised labour movement, it's, um, uh, it's just along the lines of, well, you get out and help Labor get elected mm. and then leave the rest to us. So we tried to, uh, in the small ways that we could, reintroduce that uh, in internationalism uh, back in. I mean, that active activist uh, internationalism. That's good. Can we just go back a step and tell us? Can you tell us about what the IWW stands for in terms of uh, its values, its aims, and uh, tactics? I suppose what makes it different from the, I suppose, the normal trade union movements that we hear about on the media and we see all the time. You know what I mean? Well, the philosophy, I suppose. Yeah, the wobblies were the wobblies were on about and remain on about um, changing the society that we live in, and not just simply arguing for a bigger, bigger share of the existing one. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. We believe that the extent to which unions have been successful in winning a share of the existing society has only been for a small minority of workers in the world, and 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 to an extent, we did it at the expense of our fellow workers elsewhere. Um, so I guess it's trying to bring people uh, together on the basis that uh, that sort of society, first a division of the world in the first, second and third world, was only a temporary phenomenon anyway. Mm -hmm. It was by its own dynamic, it was always going to come to an end and we can see with globalisation and, and uh, the same laws being moved all around the world, driving people down into the third world conditions inside first world countries. You can see that process happening. So, more and more, um, there were, especially with Howard and, and that real, really strong neoliberal agenda, you saw a bunch of workers looking around and seeing that 
our current union movement as we were based, which was based on a set of laws that had us and the employer as litigants before the law. Um, but that style of unionism um, was now not capable of, of doing what it even used to do, let alone um, for those of us who were concerned about a, a more just set of arrangements in the world, was never designed for that anyway. And I guess it's taken the decades across the 20th century for that to be firmly established. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that the, the first thing about the Wobblies is that they were they were there to um, provide the sort of organisational structure that one day could see workers run the industries that they currently worked in. Because mm -hmm. um, after all, if you look at the industries where they were based, you know, in, in uh, like uh, in the building industry, in the shearing sheds, in, in the, some on the waterfront, you. Rail um, workers run rail. Mm. You know what I mean. Yeah. The extent to which there's a bureaucracy involved when it was public sector, and a lot of those mm. public sector supervisory managerial layers in the old public sector went over into the private sector anyway. So mm. they, got, they were skilled in the public sector. Mm. For all those decades, workers ran rail. I mm. mean, uh, the living proof was the public sector inside capitalist societies that mm. yes, workers can run yes the, mm. the economy and. The next thing was the Wobblies were keen to make sure that the economy was a democratic space. Yes. So, um, and uh, Union Solidarity, we ran that line for the entire four years of our activism, that uh, we were not asking for anything more than the employing class has, only what they have, which is uh, we wanted to be equal with them. We wanted an equal say in within the economy as part of a democratic space, and then we believe that the vast majority in a democratic space will will skew the economy and the, the society we live in in a, in a more democratic, thoroughly democratic direction. Just to add a couple of points maybe, I think ideologically, and that would be the same for a lot of um, syndicalist organizations or for syndicalism in general, is also that you're not trying to reform the wage labor system, you're trying to abolish the wage labor system. I mean, I think that's one of the kind of basic fundamentals, then also in terms of action, I mean the principle of, of direct action, that you're not trying to um, um, enter negotiations through mediators, but that you, so to speak, take those negotiations into your own hands or um, refuse to negotiate if it seems that that doesn't lead anywhere and, and take other action, I think that's another important thing. And then what's already been mentioned, I think the notion of the one big union if you compare it to um, mainstream trade unions, I think in most countries, I mean, one aspect definitely that internationalist aspect. Another aspect which I think has been traditionally really important for the IWW and I think is very important also today and might be one of the reasons why there's a resurgence of um, IWW groups in various countries is that under that notion of the one big union, it's actually possible to organize workers who often don't find a place in mainstream trade unions, um, migrant um, workers. Um, temporary workers, etc., which so-called now often under that label of precarious work. I think that's a that's a big issue today. A lot of trade unions, uh, mainstream trade unions, I don't think have an answer to that. And I think that the syndicalist model um, offers better prospects there. And um, that was another aspect that I thought of, but I forgot. I was going to mention about the thing about uh, direct democracy within the, the union itself. Uh, um, it, it's a uh, it's a union which uh, works from the ground up in, in terms of um, um, is that the way you see it too, yeah, Dave? The too, important too right. part of it. Too right, and, and I've, I mean I've been in unions where um, 
the New South Wales BLF, for instance, or the Miners Union at the moment, where uh, there are very few full-timers. Uh, every resolution has to go out to the rank and file. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in fact, just got knocked back on a really wonderful project at the moment. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so we've got to keep working away until we win it. So, but it's, yes. we, we got knocked off, if you like, for all of the right reasons. Yes. That is, the members were firmly in control. So, um, but on the other hand, like as Gabe said, I, I'm currently working as an organiser in a union where the employer can say that I can either come in or not come into a workplace. Mm. And that my members are not the determinant factor in that. Mm. But it's, it's him. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm currently an organiser in a union where he can hold whatever meetings he wants without asking anyone's permission. But my members have to ask permission. I'm currently yeah. an organiser where uh, our members create, you know, billions of dollars a year for this this mob, and uh, and and the uh, the money goes directly to a minority of shareholders who own the, the company. So, it, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, all of, all the things that existed in 1907 in Australia when the world was set up, all of the same divisions and dynamic is there, except that now we're looking at a capitalism in decline and not in the ascendancy and I think that's to follow on from Gabe's point before we, we have to be up on our toes dancing now because and talking about um, the syndicalist tradition in a new way I mean as, as an economic democracy and and uh, you know and, and asking of people why, why would employers be or any government be scared of the notion of, uh, of an economy that was democratically controlled and collectively owned I mean why would people be uh, you know, concerned about that, and that's the debate. We've got to get that back on the agenda, but it's got to be in very practical terms. So, mm. um, I think one of the aspects of syndicalism too was that idea of building the new world within the shell of the old. Mm -hmm. that, uh, and, and I don't think the Wobblies got a chance in the earlier years to investigate that thoroughly. But certainly, uh, some of us have been have been now working away for some time, and looks like it's starting to come to fruition where we begin to set up and establish a social sector of the Australian economy. That is, where workers are working in their own collectively owned enterprises, uh, and, and and a sector of the economy that we're we're uh, you know we're, we're we're not just saying to people, well, we're talking about some golden age off in the future. We're actually talking about the here and now. Well, coming back to that, Gabe, can you respond to what um, Dave's been saying? I just yeah, actually, a lot of what Dave said reminded me of the third point I wanted to make before yes. in terms of syndicalist organising generally. Um, speaking both of rank and file organization and then also overcoming divisions. Uh, one key factor, of course, of the IWW has also been not to organize along uh, trade um, lines, but to have one big union and bring workers regardless of what exactly it is that they do together so that they can fight for their common interests. Because traditionally, um, arguably, a lot of trade unions have been used in a very classical sense of divide and conquer by the bosses so people look out for the interests that a relatively small group or a faction of um, the working class uh, actually stands for and then that's going to be played out against the interests of another faction which overall weakens all factions because I think it's um, fairly obvious that, that the, the stronger the unity between the workers is the, the more effective the struggle can be. The union solidarity was, as I say, based entirely on, on the principle that Gabe's just outlined, and and it, it, we showed that it works. So, from my perspective, uh, from a Wobblies perspective, I, I think one of the ways we can actually practically offer the workers' movement in this country a way forward is uh, uh, is, is is by establishing uh, 
that principle over time where if there's a blue on, then everybody's in. And, and at least if we can create the one big union in terms of the way we fight. Yeah. Uh, and then mm-hmm. along, along that path, there's mm-hmm. all the discussion with our friends and our comrades and mm-hmm. about, well, what is it we're fighting for? Mm-hmm. What, 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 you know, um, I mean, uh, what, what, uh, a, more, a more highly paid service sector, because like we're 80% service sector in the economy, capitalism is saying all I'm capable of giving Australians is a social sector and resource extraction, pretty much, you know, now, and the ancillary jobs that grow, grow off that. But, but that's not a future. That's not, the, that's not the complex sort of economy we need to be establishing now, you know, with a mm. renewable power grid and organics and, and you know, that, for that we need the people engaged. Mm. So what are we fighting for? Well, we've got to be, part of what we're fighting for is an organisation that's capable of making the decisions democratically. You know? mm. So, so the means and the ends are very, very much, you know. Mm. Yeah. I think what's important in what's they, what Dave's been saying is also that, that the notion of one big union is just an important guiding principle for workers' struggle generally, because I just, I mean, sometimes you come across people who think that, you know, whatever they love. The IWW is too weak in numbers to even claim, you know, such principles like what's, you know, the one big union or whatever. But to me, that kind of misses the point. I mean, it's more of a, a principle that guides uh, workers' struggle. Yeah, um, Dave's been given, you know, drawing some really good pictures about uh, sort of the history of the IWW and its role in Australian unionism and stuff like that, and a few good, great examples and stories. Can you um, sort of give us a bit of a rundown on? Um, those sorts of things with regard to the SAC? Um, um, not at all to the same extent, okay. uh, for the very simple reason that I moved to Sweden only a few years ago okay. and yeah. uh, became a member of the SSE. I've been uh, an IWW member longer, so okay. yeah. Um, yeah. apart from that I haven't been involved at all in, in worker struggle to the same extent that Dave has been, so yeah, all I can enough. do in terms of with reference to the SSC is tell a, a little about the history that I know. Yeah. Um, in that sense, I think one of the one of the most interesting aspects of the of the SAC's history is, um, um, I guess, a, a general debate between reformism and a more revolutionary outlook that I think is part of the syndicalist history as well. Um, there's been different waves in the SAC. There's so-called, like as I said, reformist periods, and then there were periods where more kind of, you know, anarchist, uh, self-declared anarchists were strong in the union. I mean, that's, I think, generally an interesting aspect also in terms, again, of history of the IWW, uh, the, um, the political ideology that comes with it or that does not come with it, because um, even though a lot of anarchist principles, if you will, have always been part of the IWW and of syndicalism, a lot of syndicalists, it's very important for them to not um, associate themselves with a certain political ideology even if it is because it's not uh, that's yeah, I think yeah. one of the one of the uh, reasons why some people find that uh, dangerous if you will so mm-hmm. I mean I even know people who personally would you know call themselves anarchists and aren't syndicalist organizations but they mm-hmm. would not want the organization uh, to be called anarchist because I think they have mm-hmm. that fear that it would yeah. um, you know people would shy away from it just because of that label I agree and uh, and, and I think um Again, if we if we had gone too far down the road of, of, of describing to people what the roots of union solidarity was, yes, we'd have been lost in a 
in a, in a, you know, in a historical debate that knows yes. no bottom, has no end to it. And I guess one of the things I've learned now over time is um, that uh, if if we truly are um, part of that 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 historical um, um, you know tradition tendency, um, then we have to be able to let go of the the uh, you know the constraints of, of any one uh, set of definitions or conceptualizations or and to be able to speak in many languages. Uh, yes. And to that extent, I mean, I think, you know, it's about like, if I look at the left, um, because certainly historically the IWW is a left-wing union, that's what it's about. Um, but if I look at the left, it's like a dysfunctional family that split up many yes. years ago. And yes. it's time that we got back together because Christmas is coming, you know. Mm. So we sort of, <laughs> we need to... We need to accept, I think, like the, the lessons that we've all learned over the... I mean, I had close to 40 years of the 20th century where, I was, where I've been an active leftist, or 30 yes. years in the 20th century, Yes. Uh, 10 years now. Um, and, you know, what I've learned is that the, there are so many good comrades in all of the left organisations, that they're their comrades and their friends and all. Um, and we, we've worked together on so many things, and that's what's important and that's what it is to be for me anyway like a, a leftist and I don't need for them to speak a particular way or think in a particular with a particular mindset mm. or hang out with a particular group mm. uh, if, if they can cop me well I can cop them and mm. and the important thing is what are we offering to our fellow workers um, who are not of the left mm. um, what, what are we because they're saying to the left after the 20th century working people are saying to us you show us, don't tell us. Do you reckon you're so good and you've got something to offer? Mm. Well, you didn't do too well in the 20th century, so, you know, <laughs> what, <do> you, <laughs> what sort of runs are you going to get on the board this time? Yeah, yeah. So I think it is about that. And and we know from the, our practice in the 20th century that's not about teaching people to get the right conceptual framework right or say it in the right way or, you know, make sure you're selling only the one newspaper. Like, if they'd have me, I'd join every left group, mm. all of them. And that, can, can I just say, Gabriel, can we just um, can we just talk about globalisation for a sec? Uh, uh, Edward Herman uh, describes globalisation. He says what uh, the uh, people like the WTO refer to as globalisation is a is a set of neoliberal economic policies um, such as privatisation. Um, is is what the IWW has been doing since the start of the century, uh, last century, and with Union Solidarity and these sorts of programs? Is that um, can you describe that as a um, a mobilisation, if you like, against these kind of neoliberal policies? What do you mean? Was it back then? Because they were neoliberal policies back then. Of course, they well, were I suppose you'd policies. be more international uh, capitalism. You'd refer to it back yeah. then, but uh, maybe. What do you think about it? I think, I think generally just what we said before, that internationalist aspect I think has always been really strong and I think yes. you know, within the times of what you know, is now called neoliberalism or neoliberal globalization, it just takes on um, new forms. And it, it, in a sense you might even say that historically it kind of proves that, that um, approach right. Because I think that's one of the main problems today too, if you look at... Um, the rhetoric of a lot of uh, mainstream trade unions, like their critical responses, if you will, to um, neoliberalism or neoliberal globalization, 
I think very often is quoted in, in rather protectionist or you might even say nationalist terms, which I think you know creates um, big problems politically. And again, I think um, in the long run even, um, or, or certainly weakens um, a united workers struggle because what in the short you know in the short run might look like an advantage for the relative privilege that certain workers have in a certain country over those in others will in the long run um, weaken their status in relation to the bosses or capitalists too so I think my short answer basically to that question would be yeah I mean the you know neoliberal globalization just um, you know, sheds new um, light on the importance of the internationalist outlook of syndicalism to begin with. Yeah, I, I agree, and, and I think um, you know, Australia was relatively unique. Um, if you look back at the start of last century when the WOBs set up, and remember, didn't just arrive. Certainly, didn't just arrive from America and set up in 1907. There were, there were decades of struggle that led mm -hmm. to the people reaching those conclusions in 1907. But, but you were looking at it in Australia where there were two major parties. One was a protectionist party, and one was the Free Trade Party. And they were so freaked out by the development of the workers' organisation and how powerful it was, they united into one party. Mm. Now, now you know that's a fairly mm. that, that's telling you something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And now, then can you tell us the dates of when this happened? Oh no, 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 no I'm not an academic. I'm suspecting it's, it's sort of the end of the nineteenth century. I live with this history rather that's than okay. know its dates. But no, that's okay. But but the the um, you know the the fact that you know pe people like us weren't so relevant once that social contract was in place. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if there was a way back to the pre-Howard or the pre-Keating sort of unionism pre-enterprise bargaining mm. agreement type of the pre-accord unions. If there was a way back to it, then 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 again people like us would be no longer relevant because you'd be looking at a unionism that says, all right, you're part of a uh, roughly 12 to 20 percent of a privileged group, more privileged group of workers than workers elsewhere. We don't torture you, we don't jar you, we don't shoot you because you don't eat much. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We need you out there to consume. Yeah? Mm. So if there was a way back in, well then of course you need unions that have their lawyers. They have organisers who know how to how to um, live within an arbitration and conciliation system. That 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 know all of the ways in which they strive to be equal litigants with the employer before the bench. And and I guess our message back at the turn of last century has now come full circle that that's not possible anymore. Uh, you know. And, and capitalism simply can't provide that sort of social contract. They're not lying to us when they ca tell us they can't afford manufacturing jobs in a country like Australia. Mm -hmm. They're telling us the truth. There's not enough growth left within capitalism for them to be able to build a big enough surplus or profit to be able to afford those jobs here. They've got to go to the depressed labour economies, you know, to the, the so-called undeveloped capitalist society. So. You know, where does that leave us? Where does that leave our current union movement? And I think that that's, that requires great patience. It requires us to, even though we figure we've got those sort of answers and we've learnt those from life, not to be arrogant about it, because a lot of workers are really loyal to their union, and that's a good thing. So it's a matter of all right. What are the ways we can contribute here in this culture? Because it's a relatively unique multicultural culture. Um, what are the ways we can contribute along along the lines that the Wobblies lessons would, would, would teach us 
because we have gone back to that fork in the road, the social contract or, or the free enterprise system where capitalism actually gets back to its main game. And that's, I think, where we are. So the wobblies now come back on stream and let's go down that road together. I remember debating this bloke. He does their international, the international stuff for um, um, the uh, Institute for Public Affairs. What's his name? He's a young Roscoe? Bloke. No, uh, no, young bloke. Uh, he's, he's in the media all the time. Fully love is. No, he's a. He's a uh, I'll think of his name in a minute. Wilson. Or no. Uh, um, anyway, uh, he said he came on TV and we, we debated, yeah. And uh, and I said to him because when Union Solidarity was at its height, mm. and, uh, and and I said to him, well, we're not we're not against the free market. Yeah? Mm. He said, oh, everybody says that, but they add a but. And I said, well, no, I'm not adding a but, I'm adding an end. And he said, an end? I said, yes, and the working class. You can't call it a free market if the working class isn't equally free within it. And you support laws that mean we're not free within that marketplace because you know without those laws we become the majority, if it's a democratic space, we become the majority and we'll change that economy just by being the fact we've got a different set of collective vested interests. Mm. And he said, in the end, he said, I don't support those laws, which is interesting in itself. And I said, oh, well, can I get that in writing? So, but you know what I mean? It's like, there they are, the free marketeers at the end mm. of the day, they're in a real bind. Um, they've got to go to the free market to get the last remaining bit of growth out of capitalism. But by doing it, they free us up to organise differently in a new way that can actually challenge capitalism. Which, which is interesting just to, to connect to that. I think it you know what they've been saying about the 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 fact that it's no coincidence that um whatever you know comp multinational companies move their production sites to different countries or that it's not you know sustainable for them to have them for example in australia and the industrialized uh, other industrialized nations i think from a revolutionary or anti-capitalist perspective that of course um opens the interesting question what happens if you could make a contribution to the fact that um, no countries, even the you know the now so-called third world countries, would be attractive sites for these companies to um, produce. Like where you know where would they go? And I think that to me again um, um, stresses the importance of uh, international union connections and that and, and uh, if you're the global worker struggle it's a big word but I think that you know could take us uh, enormous ways and I mean for one of course then also the the whole environmental question comes into play which I understand they've also been active in because it's not only the fact that the wages are lower and workers you know have less um, union protections often in countries outside of the industrialized world but there's also um, there are also still different environmental requirements that have to be met. So I think all these factors contribute to um, this, um, um, you know, to the to the shifting of uh, uh, production sites and outsourcing and whatnot. So if we'd uh, be able to um, build a strong international resistance to that, that takes both into account, like um, um, you know, situations at the workplace and environmental questions. I think that's kind of like a key factor for. Any radical movement yeah. for the years to come. I, I agree, and, and just building on what Gabe was saying, that that um, that idea of of, of, of a, a newly internationalising workers' movement that's that's you know that doesn't stop where the factory gate or the office store ends. It's 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 out into the community, so that mm. the community can respond 
you know, we can respond as a working class community rather than as separate groups of workers to, th to situations that are happening inside our, our borders, but globally as well. So I think by, by having a combined, uh, uh, you know, movement that, can, that has all of the social weight that, that, that can defend, establish and defend rights, but alongside that, to be looking at the labour movement to labour movement trade agreements, where we actually build social sector trade agreements, so that at the same point we are not just standing outside someone's factory, saying we don't like the fact that you are not doing this. We are actually building factories that are doing such and such, and so and that's a different ballgame. Mm. When, when, when we actually do what capitalism did under feudalism when we actually start to establish a part of the economy that workers own in control, at the same time as we're fighting inside the other sectors of the, the capitalist economy, then then we can we are not just protesters, because that to me has been, out of my 40 years in, one of the failings I believe that I've participated in was that at the end of the day, we developed, at our best, very powerful protest movements, but, but, but we never, went beyond protest into change mm. and I think that's so it's getting that right now I think for us old timers who can lay some of the foundations alongside younger fellow workers mm. and, and get out of their way because I think that's going to take off like a rocket mm. um, and especially if you base it around wealth creating manufacturing jobs into the renewables that's I think and to do that globally. Now you're involved in an example of that with the CFMEU yeah. Project mining, uh, mining and energy branch in uh, yes. in Morwell. We uh, we're looking at a, um, a, a, a the Earthworker project, which uh, puts in place uh, worker-owned control factories that manufacture uh, uh, the range of green technologies, solar hot water units, uh, wind generators, biomass, etc. We want to put those factories in Morwell because it's a transition out of brown coal. This is the miners' union which yeah. is doing this, which yeah. is an interesting thing because yeah. they're all coal miners, aren't they, yeah. in Morwell? Absolutely, mm. and, and, and massive difference and debate over it all, as you'd mm. expect. We want to try and stamp that out in every state of Australia, but we also have initiated discussions with the Venezuelans about um, doing the same factory there and then throughout Latin Central and South America, and and then do work with the labour movements in other countries, so that just slowly and, and and deliberately we establish this social sector. Mm -hmm. Now you put that together with a with an organisation that can also um, fight and win industrially, uh, then you know then you're cooking with solar. I just just um, to emphasise the the importance I think of, of everything that Dave's just said. I also think that often. Within the radical left, even there's um, a kind of false dichotomy of you know creating cooperatives on the one hand and you know being engaged in the wider class struggle on the other hand. Like sometimes that's seen as a contradiction because you're saying, well, you know, you build your cooperative and you don't care about you know anyone else basically or you know the, the situation of other workers. You have your own little kind of you know egalitarian self-managed um, niche. Or, or you know you you do engage in, in class struggle and then you know you have the criticism that you're not actively engaged in actually building alternative um, economic structures. Um, I think both criticisms are valid to a certain point, but the fact is that it's not necessarily a contradiction because obviously you can do uh, both at the same time, and I think that's that's indeed terribly important because if you only focus on building your cooperative, but 
you are surrounded by um, a wage labor system eventually um, you know or it, it will be very hard basically to um, maintain your cooperative or you know spread um, have other cooperatives appear uh, so that it become big enough to have a network that actually um, you know starts building a, a viable alternative for a lot of people uh, on the other hand if you you know let's say exclusively engage in finding the wage labor system without um, building uh, alternative economies it'll be a constant struggle which I think in many ways is good uh, but eventually also very exhausting and then a lot of people kind of you know, retreat or burn out like I think you see that phenomenon very often so I think if you can combine those two aspects and exactly I mean Dave's named um, fabulous examples for that I think that's really uh, the way to go basically it, it, it's, it's also recognizing you know this thing about I suppose about climate emergency that people are referring to now, which I think is a very, very real and, you know, uh, the, the, the most dangerous thing we, have a species, we as a species have faced. Um, but, but the harsh fact is that's an economic and a class question. Mm. And, and if, we, if we behave as though it's not, then I don't believe we can win it. That's, I think it's, it, it, it may be off in the future before workers take the economy into their own hands, but um, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that if they don't, we won't survive the climate emergency. Mm -hmm. Now, um, that makes it all the more crucial that we get practical examples, models up and running of workers running industry and network those as rapidly and quickly as we can, use the resources of the union movement to assist with that. Um, and, and because otherwise, you know, we are not going to protest our way out of this. It is, it is not doable. On the other hand, capitalism is not going to economically organise our way out of this because, of course, it's causing the problem. So the governments, in turn, neoliberal governments, are locked into those corporates for their investment. So it leaves only one other social force in this society, and that's us. Mm -hmm. So we better, you know, it's either get good at putting your feet on the ground or get good at yoga so you can bend over and kiss your ass goodbye. You know? <laughs> but one, maybe yeah. just to throw that in real quick, I yes. think because we've already been talking a lot about the IWW. I mean, to its yeah. credit, it had, um, in the States especially, members and activists who I think addressed that question very early, like in the 1980s, Judy Barry is a really um, big and famous name, who were working to overcome these, con again, these kind of false contradictions that mm, were often created between, on the one hand, protecting the environment, for example, redwood forests in the States, and on the other hand, harming workers, loggers, you know, who'd lose their jobs. I mean, I, I see that, you know, that is a problem, but obviously in a common struggle, those can be overcome. Like, you know, there is, you, you can't save the redwoods um, and have people who are trained as loggers do work and find jobs for them. It's a matter of developing, um, a, you know, common, policies that take all these actions into or all these aspects into account so it's not that you know you're playing out the environment against the interests of workers that's just you're just not creative enough if you can't come up with uh, solutions to that you know we could talk for a lot longer about this great topic that we've been talking about which is the role of the the syndicalism in um, in uh, today's economy and today's politics and going way back to the start of the 19th century. Um, how would you sum up the role of uh, 
this kind of unionism, IWWism, um, Dave? Oh, well, well, for me, I guess it's it's finding uh, uh, you know that uh, new voice in the 21st century of, of uh, uh, where it's accepting that we're operating within um, a, a wide range of communities, um, unions just being one of those, and uh, and that as we move and operate. Um, uh, with each other as comrades and, and with other left comrades that that we've there are so many lessons from across the 20th century that we can pull into this the 21st century and I suppose to you know, try to provide the guarantees that the same mistakes aren't made so I think that means um, openness and inclusivity uh, it means not uh, placing uh, uh, constraints around uh, 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 you know uh, belonging um, outside of you know racism and, and, and violence and you know overt sexism, then you know it doesn't matter whether someone's a, a Catholic, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Christian, a Jew. Or, so you know, I guess with with our tradition, that's one of the things we can we can activate or bring into this 21st century. We can bridge across the whole historic left. Now. Um, We've got some baggage to over, to unpack before we do it because we got into it as much as the rest of the left. And I think yeah. Union Solidarity showed when we're at when we're really going for it, and there were quite a few wobblies involved in Union Solidarity. That's when you see us at our best. We don't mm. care what baggage other people have got in their case, as long as we're not carrying any. Mm. So time to put that down, get back to our basics and our roots, re-establish that. We don't even need to call it anything. Um, you know, we, we just need to do it. Mm. I suppose just one one thing could we quickly cover that's something that we haven't covered, which is the uh, tradition in the Wobblies about being non-political mm. uh, in terms of uh, not uh, getting involved in elections, voting for one party over another. Could could you just talk well, that, a little bit about that, that was in Australia? A, yeah, well, it was always a, um, a, a thing that, and, and it goes on today, that, that syndicalists debate about. Um, and my view is, yeah, you let a hundred flowers bloom, you know, like um, uh, there, there might be times where it makes perfect sense to intervene in an election. It, it could be a, a local government, it could be a, a regional election, it could be a you know, state election or a national election. And uh, I mean, I don't blame people for getting involved in the uh, Your Rights at Work stuff. Um, many people involved in Union Solidarity were heavily involved in the Your Rights at Work campaign to get rid of Howard. Um, yeah. Now, um, you'd like to think that uh, we'd know enough from the 20th century to know that uh, what was on offer from the other side um, was not going to resolve the central crises that, uh, that we and other nations face. That, that, and, and so I guess it's a matter of how do we best maintain the openness and inclusivity so that the talking can always occur, that, that we never turn on each other, that, that we're always creating a, a, a space that's 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 solidaric in that you know in a truly meaningful way mm -hmm. and whether someone is politically of the left and they're a, they're an ml or they're a, a trotskyist or to me it's a, you know it's just like yeah it is like walking in the garden i mean there's just different variations and, mm -hmm. and you know we've got to make sure everyone receives the water and the nutrients because mm -hmm. uh, none of us have got all the answers mm -hmm. and uh, that's one of the other lessons it seems to me that we we either learned or we didn't at our peril of the 20th century really. The collective is the important thing and not any of us presuming that we all, that, that any of us truly know. And knowing is something we learn by doing 
So, um, mm. you know, it's, it's a matter of doing that with as many people uh, who feel like brothers and sisters with us because of the way we behave towards them mm. uh, as possible. Mm. I, I think just, um, just to sum this up, maybe, I mean, I think that the non-political aspect, as you call it, of the syndicalist tradition um, does not imply that you're not allowed to engage in political work if you think that, mm. you know, that's suitable. It's just that that the organization, if you will, may not be compromised in, um, you know, what they provide for a direct workers' struggle by political interests. So whatever people who um, unite in the organization to engage in worker struggles, you know, whatever political fight they may engage in outside of it, um, it's entirely up to them. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's only good. I mean, I to me. I think it'd be hard to meet a syndicalist to say that you're not allowed to do anything outside of the organization. That to me, that'd be kind of like a scary picture of syndicalism, yeah. to be perfectly honest. So mm -hmm. this non-political aspect is not reducing people's possibilities on that level. I think it enhances people's possibilities because they are not reduced ideologically, you know, to a certain party line or whatever. It, 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 when it started, if you look in America, the Wobblies were worried that you know, if if people were too overly identified with Debs and yeah. and that tradition, political tradition, then it might mean that it was, as I said before, it was saying to workers, unless you agree with that, you can't belong to the Wobblers. So they were trying to actually, it was the opposite of what it eventually, I think, became. Um, uh, you know, because you can turn anything into a hardened dogma, yeah. <laughs> even yeah. the most libertarian of views. That's right. So, uh, but here, likewise, the, the, the burgeoning Labor parties in the colonies that then became, under Federation, eventually the Labor Party, um, or the Communist Party, or whatever, the Wobblies here were keen to say, look, you know, um, it, it's fine for people to belong to whatever. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> Not the point that you can't. Um, but but don't make belonging a condition of being active here. If you're a, if you're a working class person, mm. um, then but 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 the idea was that was meant to be a hot house for the discussion for all to be able to engage in, not mm. the captive of one view. Mm. And that you know what I mean. And, and yes. when you look at us in that historical light, that's really speaking of a different future. Mm. So mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, uh, thanks people out there in internet land for listening to this uh, little talk we've had with uh, Dave Caron and Gabriel Kuhn on syndicalism in Australia and Sweden, the IWW and the SAC. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jack. Thank you.